little plates called cicchetti, drinking wine in the shade, and hypochondriac Italians. This week, we're in Venice, Italy. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, and this is Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Welcome to the show. Each week, we travel to a different corner of the world and try the cuisine of that place and explore fun things to do there as well. And this week, we are in a spot where people have put on their bucket lists forever, Venice, Italy. Now, Venice has gotten a lot of press recently about being the epicenter for over-tourism and overcrowding. Of course, that's not much of an issue right now with the pandemic going on, but as soon as the pandemic lifts, I'm sure we're going to go back to having cruise ships and lots of people crowding in Piazza San Marco. But we have the perfect person to talk about visiting Venice and how to enjoy it without driving yourself mad with the crowds. Monica Chase Serrato is a food blogger and a tour guide who takes visitors on food tours all over Venice and the Veneto region. She's also written a book, which she talks to me about, and she's working on getting a movie about Venice made. Monica's also very funny, very charming, and she tells me stories about how Cicchetti was invented and Venice's role in the invention of pastry. Monica also talks about Prosecco, cocktails, and queen cakes for Carnival. Plus, Monica tells me her theory on why hypochondriac Italians have tamped down the COVID virus. But first, let me ask you to subscribe to Destination Eat Drink. I'm on all the podcast platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, including radiomisfits.com and destinationeatdrink.com slash pod. Destination Eat Drink. Monica, thanks for being on the program today. You know, Italy, especially northern Italy, you're in the Venice region, was hit very hard by this pandemic. It looks like Italy is beginning to emerge, but I don't know how Venice is doing specifically. How are you doing um, as a person living in the area? And more generally, how is the region recovering from this pandemic? Okay, so first of all, I just want to point out that uh, a lot uh, was about the media, not what actually was truly happening here. Yes, we were among the first one to be hit by the pandemic. Yes, we were amongst the region with the highest number of infected people and death. But at the same time, we were also one of the first regions to recover. Okay, and one of the first regions that uh, when people actually followed the rules, uh, um, I'm not saying 100%, but nearly, we were very strict, and that's why we got fast results. Okay, and now uh, we are probably, uh, I know that they just discovered a couple of uh, people infected, but uh, considering the numbers were worldwide, uh, they're very, very tiny numbers, okay? Uh, so I got to say, mm, we, are reco- we recovered quite well, and it wasn't as bad as the media wanted to show. Also because I would like to point something out, it wasn't Venice, it was actually 
outside of Venice. He was uh, in the area of Vicenza, but he's nearer to Milan and Lombardy. The Lombardy region was really the region that got hit hit the worst. You know, but uh, we got to say, we can see the difference in the way it was handled. You know, we both were stricken by the, at the same time, but uh, our region immediately went on a very strict lockdown and everybody did it. Nobody was going out for, I lost count how many days now, but definitely all of March, April and half of May we were inside, really inside, when instead in Lombardy, we know for a fact they weren't as strict. I was talking to my friend Esther, who's in Sicily, and mm-hmm. we were talking about this this idea of the lockdown. And when the lockdown was first announced in Italy, as someone who's who's traveled to Italy quite a bit, and my girlfriend has dual citizenship to Italy, my first reaction was... I don't know how much people are going to obey this oh, no. order. <laughs> oh, no. That's exactly my fault. When it happened, I thought, oh, my God, we are Italians. <laughs> Number one, we don't obey rules. We make <laughs> rules as we go along. OK. And, you know, in Italy, we have a saying, make the rule find the escape. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, we are chaotic, you know. But, but at the same time, I realized something, and it was true to the end of lockdown. Italians are hypochondriacs, okay? Oh. Uh, you all know, have you ever heard of a story of colpo d'aria? You know, that uh, if you are near a window and there is a little bit of fresh air yes. and you sweat, you know, you're a bit sweaty and stuff, you might catch a colpo d'aria. That means that you get all blocked and pain and stuff. So Italians do not travel with the windows uh, low in their cars. If there is a little bit of a draft in the house, whoop! close the window straight away, you know. <laughs> so I thought, oh my God, we might just get out of this because of that. And we did, because Italians are very hypochondriacs and very clean. Everybody was cleaning their hands like every five minutes. Nobody's touching anymore. I think that's the biggest thing for us Italian, uh, at least me as a person, but I can see you know, my friends and not be able, you know, when you meet, not be able to kiss, not to be able to, to hug, uh, you know, and we're trying to find ways of doing it anyway. Way, but you know, it's not easy. I've been to Italy in the summer occasionally, and I'll it'll be hot, it'll be really hot outside, and I'll still see men with these scarves wrapped all the way around their necks. I'm like, and people will tell me, Don't go outside, you can't go outside without your neck wrapped in a scarf. I'm like, It's 90 degrees out there. No, I know, I know, I don't tell me about it. I live in the, I lived in the UK for a long time, so I kind of got rid of a of a side. In fact, when, you know, when I drive around with Italian friends, it's like, oh. <laughs> when I go around with American English, it's windows open like Felman Louise, you know, way. <laughs> so it's yes, but that's Italians for you. We're so full of contradictions, but that's what you all love about us, isn't that's it? That's true. That is so true. <laughs> Let's talk about the food of the uh, of the region, and I think one of the most interesting parts about uh, Venetian cuisine is the Venetian tapas called the chicchetti. Okay, so first of all, just want to clarify something. Uh, until twelve years ago. Nobody but Venetians knew what chicchetti were because mm. I remember when I first started doing what I do, and that is uh, food blogging, talking about, you know, uh, cooking and uh, taking people around uh, 
in the Cicchetti places. When I first started to propose my tours, nobody was booking because nobody knew what it's all about. <laughs> so I had to kind of educate people to what it is. So Cicchetti are actually very, uh, very old traditions from Venice, okay? Uh, they are small little, they're not tapas, okay? Let's make this clear. They're born of the same period, but they're born for different reasons and they're different things. Uh, they are small little snacks that you usually take with a glass of wine that is called a Ombra. A Ombra is called like this because uh, people used to stand in St. Mark's Square selling the wine underneath the church tower. To keep the wine cool, they used to move a stall with the shade of the church tower. So they used to say, andiamo a bere all'ombra del campanile. Let's go and drink in the shade of a church tower. Mm. With this small glass of wine that is usually red or white, you do not get to pick the type. It usually is house wine, okay, but very good house wine. You usually, Venetians are very well known because they, they had to drink water and wine all the time because the water wasn't safe to drink in Venice because, of course, Venice doesn't have uh, uh, fresh water, okay? He's, he had to get his fresh waters from uh, the rivers. So... Uh, or it was raining water, and of course it could get easily contaminated. So to make it safe to drink, Venetians used to mix it with wine because the wine kills the bacteria. But you, as you can imagine, if you drink water and wine all day long, you do tend to get a bit tipsy, you know. So we would have had a lot of uh, leaning tower of pizzas in Venice <laughs> and very happy Venetians, okay. So they had to find a solution. So pretty soon everybody realized that uh, one way not to get sleepy, drowsy and so on was to associate a small bite to eat every time you add a small glass of wine. In fact, cicchetto, the singular of cicchetti, comes from the Latin cicus, that means small. Originally, they weren't what we have today because now they're very fancy. You know, you have a crostini, you have all really fancy stuff up. Originally, it would have been brain, liver, a little bit of polenta with a little bit of anchovies, a little bit of an egg with a bit of anchovy. Uh, you know, just very simple, poor people food. The change has happened in the last uh, six, seven years when Chiquette started to become famous. And the people selling the Chiquette realized that uh, tourists weren't so adventurous. So they wouldn't go for brain, liver, tendons and stuff like that. So they start to adjust it uh, and make it a bit more palatable and new ones. So you have a traditional ones that like a sardine sour, sweet and sour sardine or bacala mantecato that is a mousse of uh, dry cod that are traditional and they go back a long time. But now you have a lot of new types that are a bit more, let's say, modern and um, easy to take. <laughs> the bacala, it's interesting that you say that because we were in Lisbon about a year ago and of course, bacala is everywhere there. It comes... But... And it's not, because it's not the same thing. Okay, so I was going to ask you, uh -huh. is it the same? Is it the, coming no. from the North Sea? Is it No, okay, so you tell me. Okay, it is comes from the North Sea, but it's a different thing. All over the world, but the Veneto region and some other areas, not so many, bacala is uh, uh, salt cod. In the Veneto region is dry cod, but it's different because uh, many dishes that you do in the Veneto region and in Venice, some of all with dry cod, could, do, could not be replicated with salt cod because it's too salty. Even if you're soaky and soaky and soaky, it will not 
possible. In fact, bacala mantecato can only be made with dry cod. Dry cod comes from Lofoten in Norway. I'm sorry if I pronounce it wrong. Uh, in a small archipelago of island in um, in Norway. And what they do, they preserve their fish by putting on sticks and expose it to the sun for six months until it becomes as hard as rock. So it's not preserved in salt. Do you understand? Yes, yes. So when you go and soak it for 48, 72 hours, as we do to rehydrate it, it becomes like normal cod. So you can actually even deep fry. You can eat it you know, as normal fish, when instead salt cod is always got the saltness in it. So many dishes like bacala mantecato, there's no way at all you could do it with a normal bacala, but it's actually bacalao. When we go out for the uh, chiquette, give me the, a name of like one place that you really like that's maybe... Oh, that's <laughs> That's asking inside information. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can give you one uh, that is definitely one of my favorite, uh, and it is for many reasons. Uh, it's not one of the oldest at all because they open about, oh, more or less when I started, so about 10, 12 years ago. But it is, uh, we got two locations. So the name of the place is called El Sbarlefo. Sbarlefo in Venetian is the action of when you stick the tongue out as somebody, you know, where, where little kids <laughs> stick the tongue out. Right, okay, right. Sbarlefo is that thing. Uh, and what I like about this place is uh, the first ones 10 years ago that made a transaction from the old style of Steria, selling cicchetti to something a bit more modern. They are amongst the ones that actually start to change the way the, the cicchetti were proposed. But at the same time, they always, always been run by true Venetians. Um, one of the requirements to work in that place is you have to be from Venice. I, I don't know if they do it on purpose or what it is, but uh, that's it. Okay, so it's, you know, when you walk in there, tradition comes out from every pores of these guys. And um, they have an amazing drink. So apart from the typical cicchetti, so you can find the sweet and sour sardines, you can find the bacala mantecato, you can find a large selection of fish because in Venice, fish is our main staple. Okay. But they also got a special drink and it's not the spritz because uh, spritz, uh, everybody has spritz. Why do you want to go have something that everybody has? You should try the Cinico. That is a drink they started to propose about four or five years ago and is made with Prosecco, lime, mint, and cinnamon liquor. Oh, sounds great. I define it as Christmas with a hint of summer Hmm. when it's winter and summer with a hint of Christmas when it's summer. Uh, And it's refreshing, uh, sweet, because, of course, you know, you have a cinnamon and you have, you know, the cinnamon liquor is quite sweet. But it's a nice alternative. It's a It's a glorified mojito, let's say. Okay. Because you got the lime and the mint in there. Yeah, but it's much nicer because you know, mojito, you can really screw it up if you're not careful <laughs> because, uh, well, you know, if you use a, r- a wrong type of rum, if you sure. put the, wrong, uh, the rice in the wrong way, you can have some good mojito and some terrible ones. The uh, chinico, you cannot get it wrong and you can easily replicate it at home if you can get hold of a cinnamon liquor. That is very hard to do. <laughs> so you got to come to Venice to get it. <laughs> 
<laughs> it sounds like a great drink for summertime. I would love it. And I think I'd love it uh, next to a fire in the middle of the winter, too. Now, this is what we'd have with our Chiquetti. Monica, you're, you've, you're writing a book about Chiquetti. How's your book coming along? And, and describe it. Do you have recipes in it or do you have places? What is the book okay. about? So the book wanted to, <laughs> the book is as in progress, as we say. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you how long it's been in progress. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, it is actually, I wanted to do a different type of book. So it's going to be a book about recipes. The re- recipes are all ready. They're actually, the book is nearly ready. All, all I need is a publisher. So if anybody out there wants to publish me, I'm here. I even got an agent, so all you got to do is call me. Um, <laughs> I've um, it's, it's going to be a, a book about recipes, of course, because I, I want people to learn how to make the real chiquetti. Uh, also, and by real, I mean also the old ones, okay? But with every chapter, uh, I was thinking of dividing them in um, categories. With every chapter, there will be a bit of history of the food of Venice relating to the chapter, of course, with pictures and everything. So it was a bit, it's a bit of an ambitious uh, thing because generally people have a published recipe book or a history of a food book. I wanted it to be a bit of a mix. And uh, I managed to get recipe from uh, some very nice people. One of among them is uh, she used to be she still is because she's still alive, but uh, she's not working anymore. But she used to be one of the best uh, osteria chefs in Venice. She is the lady that literally did uh, uh, change the perception of Chiquetti that we had from the 60s into the 90s. So it was very interesting from uh, the famous Osteria Lavedova, La uh, that is one of the oldest in Venice. So. And you said she retired. Is that Osteria still around? Oh, the Osteria is still around. She retired because, of course, uh, you know, uh, she worked for more than 40 years. I think it was time she took that off. And now she's called Ada Cato. And she's actually very, it's really funny because she kind of retired. But as you know, you don't really retire when you're a cook. So now she goes around all over China uh, teaching Chinese people how to make chiquetti. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, China and Japan is amazing. Yeah, yeah. She's been to Tokyo. She's been to Hong Kong. Uh, yeah, it's really funny. So it's interesting. This uh, 75-year-old lady. Yeah. Good for her. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned Prosecco in the cinnamon cocktail. And Prosecco is made in the region near Venice. Um, yes. How do we best experience enjoying Prosecco besides getting this cocktail? How can we enjoy uh, Prosecco in Venice and around Venice? Well, first of all, uh, whatever is Venice or around Venice or the Veneto, well, first of all, Prosecco doesn't come from Venice, but comes from Valdobbiadene, that is a little area near Treviso. Uh, Treviso is one of the provinces uh, uh, next to Venice, okay? Uh, first of all, when you pick your Prosecco, you you know, if you're sitting outside and they ask, you know, and you ask for a Prosecco, make sure that it's a DOCG. Denominazione Origine Controllata Garantita. It means that it is got to be Prosecco di Valdobbiadene. Because what's happening is that is the original area where the Prosecco was um, created, okay? And you know it will be 100% the way it's supposed to be. Because unfortunately, as all things, uh, you know, uh, there's people out there selling Prosecco, what is not Prosecco? From other regions. 
Uh, well, no, from other regions, no, but uh, it's not Prosecco because to be Prosecco, it's got to be made with 100% Glera grapes. Okay. And these grapes only grows in the Veneto region, nowhere else. Okay. Second, you cannot have a Prosecco on the top. Prosecco only comes from a bottle for a simple reason, because the process of making Prosecco requires for it to be in a bottle. Because what's happening, the country of Champagne that you put in a bottle and it ferments as the years go by, Prosecco is bottled at the end of its fermentation. So it's bottled, ready, and then you have to drink it within a year, maximum two years. Okay, so it cannot be on a tap because it will carry on fermenting. Hmm. Okay, so you're right? not aging prosecco. No, 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 no. And anyway, I don't know anybody that ages prosecco. <laughs> it doesn't have time to age anyway. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't no, age past one day in my house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yes, you got to make sure always to that he says that D O C G. And the best Prosecco is from Baldobiadene. Now you have another two versions, is uh, from Asolo and from Treviso, but they are different. So you, if you want the original, it's got to be from Valdobiadene. Uh, um, of course, uh, there are different uh, types because you have got uh, different, uh, you got the brut, extra brut, the dry, extra dry, the padose, and so on. But generally speaking, in uh, the difference of what you actually find in America, you tend to get the extra dry. Yes. In the Veneto region, we tend to drink the brut or the extra brut. But you will find it as be drier. Uh, don't be deceived by the names. Extra dry actually tends to be the fruitier one. Okay? Brut, the drier one. Hmm. Because the actual in Italy, the uh, appellation, you know, the drying uh, taste, I make it very simple for you, okay, is given by the uh, residue of sugar left at the end of the fermentation, okay? okay? So the extra dry has got a higher percentage of sugar in it, so it's fruitier, not sweeter. Sweet is another thing, fruitier. When instead the brut, it will be very acidic, very dry in the palate. You know, when it causes like um, yeah. that kind of sensation. Yes. The, the dry okay. mouth. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we prefer here. And that's what generally what goes better when you have a cicchetti, okay, personally, and with fish, I think, because it helps you to, green the, uh, to clean the greasiness that usually you have left over in the palate. And if we go and get cicchetti and we have a glass of Prosecco with it, Undoubtedly, we'd be getting a, a high-quality Prosecco, or do we need to look around uh, when we're in Venice? Okay. If you go where I told you to go as Barlefo, <laughs> you get very good quality because they actually have their own wine. Okay. He works this way. A lot of people in Venice will tell you they have their own bottles, their own wine, because a lot of people, it's true, they go to the winemakers and put their labels but the way it usually works, the restaurant, the bar, the osteria goes to the winemaker and says, okay, when you finish, when you have done your production of wine, I want a thousand bottles and you put my label. But the wine is the same, mm -hmm. okay? The, the wine is the same one that the winemaker will sell. Esbar Leffon instead, they own shares in a vineyard. And what they do, 
they have one portion of a vineyard that belongs to them and they decide how their wine got to taste. So the bottles that you drink, you only drink at the place. So that's a, a very, it's called brombole. <laughs> they gave you a funny name. And it's something different. Generally, very rarely people do this. They tend to buy and just stick a label on it. Let's say that generally speaking in Venice, the Prosecco is good. Okay. Big difference though of a Prosecco that goes in the spritz and a Prosecco that you drink in a glass properly. Okay. Generally, the, if you have a Prosecco on its own, they tend to give you a decent one anyway, because of course, uh, Venetians are very well known for being heavy drinkers. Uh, if any of the Osteria gave us bad wine, within a week, they will be closed because the Venetians will stop going. Okay. There you go. So look for a place where the Venetians are hanging out and you're exactly. sure to get good Prosecco. Yeah. Let's talk about, Monica, let's talk about sweets uh, real quick, because I think people in Venice really like their sweets. Tell me mm. about uh, what we should look for as a local sweet to buy when oh we're my in God. Venice. Okay. Right. Okay. So first of all, uh, you can send us all your bills for all the decays on your teeth, because <laughs> the sugar is actually widespread all over the world as a, as a, you know, for desserts and so on. You owe it to Venetians. because. The Venetians, uh, when uh, sugar was imported from uh, the Middle East, are the people that realized that it wasn't just a medicine and an energizer, but it can substitute honey. And from there, then patisserie was born. Then the French and the Austrians developed it, but it was the Venetians that originally understood that. Okay. okay, there you go. Venice gets credit. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's in the history books. We had the massive cane sugar plantations in Cyprus. So, mm. you know. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so it's history. It's, I'm not making it up. Um, right. So, um, in Venice. But if you come over during Carnival, absolutely, you must try the frittella. The frittella, it's officially... From the 1600, I think, the queen, the dessert, the official dessert of Venice, okay, by law. <laughs> there was a law in Venice, uh, there was a piece of paper that declared the frittella with uh, a specific recipe. Enough. The frittella was the queen of cakes. And it's like a shoe pastry that we deep fry, and the classical ones got um, uh, raisins in it, okay? And a little bit of uh, orange uh, zest and lemon zest and so on. And, it's, and then it's powdered with um, icing sugar. Very, very nice. Otherwise, uh, another thing that you should try the last one, is zaetto, that is a typical Venetian cookie. Zaio in Venetian means yellow because it's made with yellow polenta flour. And it's very nice. Now, you mentioned uh, Carnival, and mm -hmm. Venice is famous for Carnival. If, if I were to come during Carnival, what would be the best way for me as a visitor to enjoy Carnival? So, this goes not just for Carnival, this goes for Every time you come to Venice, stop coming for two days. Venice needs to be seen for at least a week, okay? If you really want to enjoy it, otherwise all you do, you come, you scrape the surface, and if there are a lot of crowds, but we hope one day come back, um, you will not enjoy it because all you have time is to go and see the iconic monuments and you think that's Venice. Venice is not that. Venice is 
so many million things to do. We got more than 100 churches, over 40 museums and exhibitions. Uh, there's so many experiences that needs to be done. So again, we carnival. If you come for a couple of days, all you do is usually Usually people end up here for the busiest days and all they get upset is because there are so many crowds and they can do nothing. Come over for a week. Come enjoy. Hire costumes or come with your own. You don't have to hire a costume, okay? The the beautiful costume that you see out, out there is not the carnival. The carnival, the point is that people just come and dress up. It's a bit like your Halloween, okay? And, uh, you know, you do not have to go to a ballroom dance. It, I mean, do if you want to, but it's not, if you cannot afford it, no problem. Uh, there are things happening on the streets. Uh, there are, uh, you know, like, for example, we offer uh, um, cooking classes dressed in costumes. There are, uh, you know, there are uh, parties happening that are not the one with all the classical dresses but they are much you know easier ones so uh there are there is a lot to be that you can do but as i repeat if you come and do it only for one or two days you don't get it you you just don't get the the old feeling of it that is pretty magical of course tourism is is slow to come back uh, probably especially in venice i imagine there's there's not tour groups in there mobbing uh, Piazza no. San Marco right now. But let me ask you this, Monica, does this give you a chance as a person who lives in the area and knows it? Well, does this give you a chance to go in and kind of get to enjoy it when it's a little more quiet? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And nah. so yes, because, uh, um, of course, when you don't have, uh, crowds everywhere and by crowds i don't just mean the numbers of people because you have to remember venice used to have 200,000 inhabitants so it's not like it's not it's a city that doesn't know how to deal with crowds that wasn't the problem it's the type of crowds that were coming okay uh dropped at nine o'clock in the morning by mm. the big uh, tourist buses over tourist boats uh hanging around Samar square and rialto and then uh, back on, on the boats and gone. That was the problem because if the crowds were composed of not big groups but smaller groups or independent people going around all over the city, there's plenty of space for everybody. Okay, it is true. Since the pandemic, uh, we uh, it is easier to go around. You notice things that you forgot they were there because there was always crowds in front that you you didn't see them you know uh but you know we we need people to come back we just need that different kind of people to come back as i, I repeat and we need people to come back for longer and people that are ready to invest in the city and invest in the city i don't mean to spend necessarily money in going to big restaurants and and so on. I mean, even just go and visit the artisans and rather than stopping in the one euro shop, buy less, but buy better quality, you know, um, even and in the restaurants, uh, you don't come to Venice to eat pizza. Venice, <laughs> you know, you want a pizza, you go to Naples. Venice is a land of risotto, is a land of fish, is a land of vegetables. Try those. You will find that uh, um, at the country or many years ago, many restaurants have changed. Um, we still got some few tourist restaurants that I think with this pandemic will eventually close for good. 
but we go some amazing places that needs to be discovered you know and and now is the time uh the other day i had a lady who sent me a message uh, she she was a client of mine from a few years back and she said to me oh do you think it's a good time to come it is the best time to come i said because everybody's very safe right now in venice because we all have to wear masks if we go inside public places it doesn't matter which place you go in at the entrance you have to use detergents to clean your hands they will tell you off if you're not wearing a mask. And uh, we uh, trying to implement social distances everywhere. So you go to a museum, you're not going to have anybody around you. You go to a church. Uh, you know, I managed to go and see some of the palaces, a museum, and it was me and my friend. Nobody else in the room. Never done it before. Fantastic. So this is the reason why people should go on a tour with you, Monica, because you know uh, these places where there's not going to be 5,000 people from a, a cruise ship disgorging into yeah. Piazza San Marco. You're yeah. working on a movie about Venice right now. I like that movie because I keep calling it film, but okay. movie sounds so much better. <laughs> no, film sounds more sophisticated, I think. <laughs> so actually, It's neither. It's actually a short film, so it's a short movie. Now it's a documentary, actually. Please tell so. me about it. I'm excited to hear. Okay, so how long have we got? A few hours? <laughs> yeah, go into detail. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so during the pandemic, me and a lot of other bloggers, we were really, really fed up with all the continuous stream of videos that we could see on social media depicting uh, an empty Venice only showing the iconic uh, uh, monuments from with drones okay so San Mar Square Rialto uh, the Lagoon and that's it and look like nobody lived in Venice look like only Venice was under a lockdown okay and people start getting really tired of these videos because the people above all from international social media. They didn't know that there were young children going door to door to deliver shopping to old people. There were people delivering on boats. Uh, there were so many uh, beautiful social things happening in the city, but nobody was talking about this. You know, and it was kind of saying the message was saying Venice is dead. Okay, and it's not. It's well alive and kicking. So I went to bed one night with this uh, thing in my head and at three o'clock in the morning, I woke up because I had a dream. And in my dream, I had a story and a film that we were making. So in the morning, I called a couple of friends, uh, uh, told them my idea. And I was expecting a comment like, you crazy fool woman. <laughs> and instead, they started crying. And I thought, okay, must be the lockdown blues. You know, so I did another few phone calls and I got the same response. So I thought, okay, maybe it's not so crazy. So I called a friend of mine that is a film director in Los Angeles to check because I thought, you know, one thing is dreaming, one thing is actually implementing the thing. So I said to him, look, I don't know nothing about films and stuff, but you think is this is a story and this is what I want to do. And he said to me, oh my God, it's a great idea. Go for it. So he gave me uh, the name of a film director here in Venice. But turns out I didn't know we actually worked previously together. Hmm. So I did, uh, he knew already how crazy I am anyway. <laughs> when I introduced him the story and the idea, he went, oh, my God, I've been wanting to do something similar along this line for a long time. I mean, and I thought, oh, great. Okay, so. Uh, we called one of the best uh, director of photography in Italy and proposed the same thing. And, and he 
uh, was quiet for about a good five minutes, didn't say anything. We were in a bar, you know, uh, but I think it was like a, a few days after lockdown has, uh, has ended. So we were sitting in a, enjoying the fact that we could be out, you know. So he was drinking his drink. He looked at me, he said, yeah, but you do realize that what you want to do is not exactly a video. It's more along the line of a film with a proper TV crew, you know, and everything. And I said, yeah. I said, you do realize it's going to be a big budget. And all I could hear in my head was, it can be done. It can be done. (laughs) (laughs) Don't tell me about the money. (laughs) So I said, but can it be done or not? He said, well, yeah, if you can get the money, everything can be done. But yeah, definitely. I mean, okay. I said, don't worry about the money. So I thought, okay, how are we going to get the money? So we decided to do a crowdfunding campaign, thinking it would be an easy thing to set up. Little did I know that in Italy, to do charity work is one of the hardest things to do because we have so many people embezzling money and running away with money. And oh, things. wow, yeah. It has become practically impossible to open an association or to do any charity work or taking money, you know, as uh, donations and stuff. So I had to find an association, a reputable association to back me up, but who believe also in the project, you know, because uh, it's, it's a lot of money. We're looking for 50,000 euros. That when you talk to somebody in filmmaking, they laugh. They literally laughed at me. When, uh, a few friends that I have that are actors and in films and stuff, when I told them how much money they need, they said, oh, what are you going to do with 50,000? You're not going to do nothing with 50,000. Right, right. When I tell normal people, you know, people like, no, I don't know if you're in, in the film business, but I'm not. When he said to me 50,000, I nearly had an heart attack. But um, so I thought, am I going to tell Spin Beast to the uh, association? But turns out when we told them, uh, we presented the business plan, we presented the, the project. They loved the idea because they uh, is an association that deals with um, cultural heritage and stuff like that. And they love the idea. So what's the idea? The project is actually to do a, a documentary, a short documentary that will be available in two versions. One uh, online on YouTube for everybody to see and use, non-profit, non-political, apolitical, and a bigger version for the film festivals where we want to propose it. And it wants to be a film about Venice and the Venetians. So there's not going to be drone pictures. There's not going to be iconic monuments. It's going to be about the life of Venetians. So in all their categories. What was interesting is that when I proposed this to the various people in Venice, I was expecting them to um, say, oh my God, you're crazy. And instead, because of the times of what's happening right now, they were all so keen to be part of it. Even though I told them, look, your name will not appear in the video. People will not understand this. You. This is not a publicity video. It's a promotional video for the city, not for each individual. And everybody just said to me, we don't care. Finally, we're doing something good for the city. Finally, we're going to show what the city is really about. It doesn't matter if it, now our name doesn't appear as long as we can help you. So for me, it's been um, the biggest uh, reward apart from uh, the donations that we need, of course. This is a great story, Monica. If folks want to be part of this, how can they uh, how can they get in touch and be part of the crowdfunding? Okay, so the name of the project is called Anima Veneziana, that means Venetian soul. Um, we have a website and we, uh, where we take donations via PayPal 
or a bank transfer, wire transfer. But we also accept donation on Facebook because a lot, uh, we know some people are on Facebook and want to use the credit card and the other way around. Some people don't want to use Facebook and prefer to use the, the credit card. So we covered all the options. You can donate as little as you want, even just 10 euros, but it was about $10 or something like that. The crowdfunding will run until the 15th of September. But if we don't reach our target, we will carry on until we do because we really want to make this film. Uh, the website is www anima a n i m a veneziana v e n e z i a n a .com we'll put uh, a link to that in the show notes at radiomisfits.com so that folks can get to that as well thank you so much this has been a joy talking to you and you know monica today when we're recording this of course americans can't go to venice but there will become a time when this will yeah. be over and we'll be able to come back and visit you. And I'm looking forward to, and I think everyone should come and see you and, uh, and do one of your tours because your enthusiasm, Monica, is contagious <laughs> and it makes me want to just jump over. It's still morning here where I am, but it makes me want to go and grab a glass of Prosecco and find some cinnamon liqueur. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got to say, I think finally Venetians for years and years and years have been, you know, at least in the last five years, people have been saying, oh my God, we don't want the tourists, we have enough, blah, blah, blah. Now they realize how much we need tourism but this is the time to change the type of tourism and uh, we do miss american people okay uh it's got to be said um right now we only have uh, some europeans not many uh we can see and it's not just uh, about the economical side it really is about also the liveliness of the city okay uh, just to give you a little uh, thing, if I can. I went to Murano. Murano, practically all the furnaces, but few are closed. And uh, it's really sad to go inside of these and see some of them have beautiful areas where you can actually sit and watch the master, the glass masters at work. It's very sad to see all these empty seats. Really, really sad. Because, you know, uh, Murano is one of the probably areas of Venice that is suffering the most. That means a whole island that will close down if we don't get the tourists back. So I hope, sincerely hope, Americans will be able to come back soon. Okay, there you go. That's Monica. What fun it is talking to her. And if you've got Venice on your travel wish list, head on over to radiomisfits.com slash DED90. That's slash DED90 for the show notes. That has links to get in touch with Monica, as well as how to help out with the crowdfunding of her movie, which sounds awesome. Next week on the podcast, we are in New Zealand, one of my all-time favorite places. We'll be talking wine, beer, cider, and dogs. Until then... Check out DestinationEatDrink.com. My latest blog post is about my favorite cab driver in Madrid. That guy was great. DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog for that story. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Radio Misfits and Grand Poobah Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. Wear your effing mask, and I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.